Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Friend Show. I'm your host, Nicholas Larimer. Today, I'm joined by Mr. Michael Morris. Michael, how are you, sir? Very well, thank you, indeed. Thank you. I hope you are, Very too. good to have you with us. Yeah, Excellent. no, uh, storm chaos aside, we seem to be having this intermittent s- splash of rain um, oh. in Joburg, uh, nice. and there's lots Beautiful of ominous sunny. thunder in the background. Uh, really? Beautifully sunny here today, I'm pleased to say. So I do apologize. I have quite a thin roof, so I do apologize if the rain gets heavy during the uh, the broadcast because you probably will be able to hear it. I'm also joined today by Mr. Herman Pretorius. Herman, how are you? I I'm I'm still slightly stressed from last night's uh, rain <laughs> match. So I, yes. I, I literally yeah. only got to bed at two this morning because I was so pumped full of adrenaline and angst <laughs> that I cleaned the kitchen um, <laughs> because I I I, I couldn't go to bed or sleep. So I've, I've been terribly domesticated. My house is in a perfect state, but I'm wrecked as a person emotionally. Yeah, I mean, I don't watch a lot of sports, but man, that was that was a rugby game um, last night. Oh, I mean, to have a quarterfinal where it's the hosting nation who's one of the favourites against the defending champions mm. and one team pips the other to the post with one point. That was Ooh. very exciting. Very exciting. Okay. Um, we will actually get on to that rugby game, I think, a little bit later. But first, let's talk a little bit about the mm-hmm. ANC government's complete and total obsession with Cuba. Uh, something which I think continues to puzzle probably foreigners quite a lot. Um, and to be honest, a lot of South Africans too. So uh, the Auditor General has been looking into the details of uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the the exchange program that the South African government runs um, with the Cuban military. Uh, Project Tusano, where the SANDF does a number of things in cooperation with the Cuban military. It sends uh, vehicles to get repaired, uh, to be maintained by the Cubans. I don't know why. Um, And also it receives various kinds of training from the Cuban government. Well, the Auditor General's report has found that medical training for South African troops in Cuba was 136% more expensive when compared to an equivalent tertiary course in South Africa, and that the Department of Defense could have saved 122 million rand if the soldiers had studied locally in South Africa. But that's not all. Looking into the entirety of this thing, there was was an irregular spend of 308 million rand on the project in just the last financial year. So, I mean, this is a question we come back to every now and again, but Herman, let me start with you. Like, why is the government so obsessed with this expensive nonsense of training with Cuba? Cuba is not known as the world's, you know, it's not like the world's most efficient, effective military. You know, they're better than some. The Cuban military is not completely, you know, without its its, its strengths and, and competencies, but it's also not even close to the world's best. So why are we paying all this money to cooperate with a very faraway country that doesn't trade much with us? Well, in, in your in the first part of your question, you said, why does the government do this? And I think the word government, there's the problem. Uh, the ANC sees itself as a government secondary to its liberation, revolutionary identity quite often. And we see this perhaps most clearly in foreign policy, ironically, uh, where the ANC 
um, is living in a world that no longer exists, where they are part of a global workers' revolution, um, where they are part of the national democratic revolution, where this, there's, there's this idea that there's this global fraternity of liberators to whom the ANC belong. You see it in uh, their siding with Hamas against Israel. You see it in the all but in name siding with Russia in the Ukrainian conflict. And you see it with this bizarre and perverse and expensive relationship that the South African government's had with Cuba for, for many, many years. So in a weird way, um, foreign policy and defense policy, military policy, these have become these last vestiges of a romantic notion of what the ANC considers themselves to be, this revolutionary movement that wants to get rid of capitalism as it is this hangover of a colonial imperialist past. And, and it, it, there's something pathetically, romantically Leninist about this. So there is no practical reason to send vehicles or soldiers or doctors to Cuba for training. Absolutely none at all. You can get the same training here locally or, frankly, from the African Union or from programs from uh, the US um, or the, 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 the EU. I mean, or there are other opportunities. I mean, connect what's all, this, what's all the, the point of sucking up to China so much if we're not going to get military medical training from them? <laughs> I mean, that's a bloody good point. Mm. But at the end of the day, mm. it becomes a thing that those the decisions made in this regard aren't decisions ultimately made for what's bang for buck for the taxpayer, what's the best interests of the country. It really becomes a, a sort of a, a hangover, a last pathetic hurrah um, of, of a revolutionary force that's been in government for, 10, uh, for, for, for 30 years and still somehow considers itself um, as part of a, a global socialist brotherhood that must bring down the capitalist West. I can't explain it any other way because even if there might be some corruption, which is quite possible, I don't know how that would work. Even if there is that component of <clears throat> bad spending and splurging and patronage, if it goes through Cuba, it's still connected to this sort of bonhomie, bonhomie of, of, of the, the, the socialists of yesteryear. It is bizarre, it is odd, and it's so blatant. I think is something that is quite it's South Africans have sort of, we've, we've become numb to the wasting of millions of hundreds of millions of rands. Um, and, and, and somehow, I, I don't know this, something like this in, in a country like the UK whose politics I follow quite closely would have been enough to end the career of the foreign, uh, of the foreign uh, secretary or, or the, or the defense minister or whatever. So it, <laughs> It's it's a bit we laugh because we cannot cry, but we also need to realize that this is a hundred million or well, how many millions of brands that we really, really could have used elsewhere. So actually, while you were talking, I was thinking to myself, in terms of rands, what actually is the trade that South Africa does with Cuba? And from the data I could find, it's about somewhere around just under forty million rand in trade per year. Four zero yes. with six zeros. Forty million in, in twenty twenty two. I mean, there are houses worth more. <laughs> it, there, in in twenty twenty two, the South African government gave a fifty million rand donation of food aid 
to Cuba. <clears throat> so it is a completely artificial relationship that is entirely propped mm. up. Basically, the only thing we seem to buy from Cuba is some tobacco products or basically cigars. Um, Michael, what do you make of all this? I mean, it is sort of bizarre how, and I think it really does show how strongly the ANC is controlled by its ideological view of the world, that it yeah. pursues this relationship, not really to any benefit to itself or or, or, the, or the country. No, exactly, <clears throat> and and it's it's actually it's very hard to to improve on everything that 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 Hellman has said. Um, you know, this whole thing is it just presents the ANC as old-fashioned and effete. Uh, we're living in a world in which it is now quite obvious that the the the, the only liberationist force to speak of is is the free market. Uh, the free market comes with problems of its own; those we can deal with in an open and 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 liberal and democratic society. But th this idea of these, you know, this this kind of sentimental attachment to fraternal relations with liberationist, um, the, the the liberationist brotherhood, as 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 I think Herman put it, is is really just um, it's nostalgia and it's wasteful and it's actually rather silly. It's either sentimental or or indeed it's immoral. It's it can be vile, as in the case with Hamas. Um, it's it, uh, that's we we can say that quite quite clearly. And just to waste all this money uh, on propping up this this skeleton of a piece of you know now almost ancient nostalgia for uh, a socialist world that has long since faded away is really just criminal it's just ridiculous and as as herman says in, in, in any other self-respecting society uh, any minister proposing such a thing <clears throat> imagine britain sending um, sending its troops off to to Finland or to somewhere else for 136 <laughs> percent more expensive training than they could get at home, it, or, in, or in America or in you know Germany, it would just be it'd be completely bizarre. Uh, so yeah, a rather tragic illustration of the blindness, in fact, of our own government to the folly that they're engaged in. Yeah, and of course <clears throat> the fact that Cuba remains a one-party state, uh, yeah. sort of openly so. <clears throat> Uh, one of the few left in the world. You know, the, uh, you know, I think the only other kind of one-party states are places like North Korea, China, and I think that might be about it, and Cuba. Um, there are very few left in the world. And, uh, you know, obviously that's a horrific form of government. Yeah, um, it's so something to, to just also keep in mind is I, I do think this is in a, in a weird way also the last gasp of a generational desperation that the ANC has. Mm. Um, you, you do have people like Naledi Pandor, Ramaphosa. These are still, you know, the final generation of people who might actually have participated in the struggle actually seen that uh, brotherhood of liberation movements in action, having received support, training, whatever. It, so so they, they might still be these last vestiges of, of a memory of collaboration. But the next generation of the ANC um, will really, really face a bit of a, of, 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 of a problem. Do they try to maintain this nostalgia? Um, because that would even be more silly than it is currently. But I do think that this we, we are seeing the dying uh, kicks of, of the ANC as a liberation movement. And the credibility is stretched thin, as it were, already now, 
but it, it, it's becoming close to a point where the ANC won't even have its memories to form an institutional identity around purely because of a generational shift. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next story. Um, and I, this is where we're going to come back to the rugby game from last night. Uh, the SABC is looking at another bailout because it's in this financial trouble. It's been in management trouble. Um, things have been really bad, especially uh, since the tenure of uh, Xiaodi Motsaneng, who infamously, among other things, while running the SABC, um, would open morning broadcasts with a choir of praise singers literally praising his name. <laughs> um, he's gone on to start his own political party, which didn't do very well. But anyway... Uh, the SABC is uh, uh, asking the ANC and government to put forward a uh, a new provision in a in a bill to reform the way that the SABC is funded. So currently, the SABC is supposed to be funded not just through the taxpayer, but also primarily through TV licenses. Um, however, only about sixteen percent of South Africans currently pay their TV licenses, and uh, the revenue, the the amount that they're actually collecting is, is massively decreasing. According to the annual report for 2023, more than 4 billion rand was billed for TV licenses, but only 775 million was actually collected by the SABC. Uh, so the SABC says that what they need to do is have a household levy where uh, all devices, including radios and cell phones and such, will uh, uh, you'll have to, if you own any of those, you'll have to pay a levy to uh, the government. Now, there are some legal questions as to whether this is actually possible. But it makes me think about the SABC as an organization. Um, it is still by far the most sort of widely watched, uh, I think, program in the country. Um, all the SABC channels provide an enormous amount. You know, lots of people listen to, um, I think it's a Corsi FM, the, the Zulu radio network. Uh, SABC 1 and 2 are some of the most watched channels in the country, especially by very poor people. And yet the quality of the SABC is just, it's just not great. So I actually was watching the rugby game last night on SABC 2. And it had two commentators who, from my layman's perspective, did not seem particularly knowledgeable <laughs> or professional. Uh, they were great fun, but it really wasn't like up to a sort of great standard. It was also kind of a little bit confusing because they were doing the commentary simultaneously in English, Afrikaans, Tuana, and Klasa. <laughs> and the commentators would switch randomly between them, which was very disconcerting to kind of follow the plot. Uh, you know, also getting emotionally involved in the match, uh, you know, getting upset at the ref for making bad calls. And it was, it was more like watching with your uncle than actually watching with professional sports commentators. Uh, but on top of that, then when they cut to the sort of middle segment where they, you know, do the talk in the middle of the show, and I think this is emblematic of kind of the general quality of SCBC programming. Firstly, the set looked really cheap and crappy. Uh, they were being sponsored by one of those kind of dodgy sports betting firms. And also the entire time, the camera just sort of drifted around the stage in this really disconcerting way that made one feel ill. <laughs> and I've never quite seen television like it, uh, except on the SABC. So, Michael, uh, you know, I, I'm very critical of the SABC. I, I think that it's generally been used to kind of help prop up the, the sort of propaganda narratives, firstly of the national government, but now also um, of this government as well. And also it's just not like great quality, as, as I was saying. And yet at the same time, 
it, it, it continues to be the sort of only option uh, for millions and millions of people around the country. I, you know, that being said, uh, if you do even go to some of the poorer townships in, in, in the country, you will see a lot of shacks with satellite dishes. So I think that suggests that people are desperate to get away from the SABC. But I, I don't know. What do you make of this? Like, how do we, should we have a public broadcaster? How do we fix it? What do you think we need to do here? Mm, gosh, I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's a very, it's a, um, certainly a very big topic. I, 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 there's a phrase that you used in our chat before the show, which I thought was was, was excellent, and I, I thought that you might forget to use it, so I'm going to remind you of it. We, we, <laughs> you referred to the the commentary last evening in the in the was it the quarterfinal game. Forgive me, I'm not a great rugby fan. Where you said it was accidentally brilliant, and and that's really the problem is that you know where there is brilliance, it's accidental, and and it's not. It's what we require is a public broadcast if we can have one, and maybe that's a separate debate. I think it's probably in this country probably quite a good thing, but we need it to be not accidentally brilliant. It's got to be good consistently, and to do that, I think it's got to have a very clear uh, separation from the government, from the state. Um, there were elements actually of the old SABC that possessed exactly these things. I, I just think of. Uh, the, the whole question of of of, of, of music, uh, I know that well. well uh, perhaps it's not really a good example. There, there were some singers and, and, and bands maybe who were who were banned and, and kept off. But they, they were, within that, there were these instances of excellence and people who were really uh, employed to do their job because they were really good at it. They were <clears throat> archivists and musicologists. I'm thinking principally of classical music, which is why I was. Uh, 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 distracted briefly there. But certainly in the in the pop music field, I think there were some, some bands and some singers who might have been been uh, banned because they were singing uh, uh, things that were considered subversive. But it it it's not it shouldn't be rocket science. Uh, it's simply a question of employing the right people on merit. You have good journalists. You have a clear, very very clear code of conduct. We are separate from the state. Um, constant accountability, a very good board that holds them to that, holds them to those standards. Um, I think it is a, a very important service for people who are listening in South Africa's vernacular languages, and that's all of them. I think it's um, it's probably one of the few places where these languages do have a chance of um, being listened to and developing and being part of everyday life, um, given the, the, the sort of quite domineering sort of hegemony of English in every other sphere. But this is one place where a lot of creativity can be employed to develop the languages and, and give people a sense of their language as, as something that is acknowledged and part of their sort of daily life. Um, but it, yeah, if it's going to be merely accidentally brilliant now and then, that's not going to, that's not going to be sufficient. Um, and, and so coming back to the, the, the story that triggered this this discussion um the one thing you don't want to do is to antagonize the people who you are meant to be serving and and that is to to try and compel them by whatever means to spend money that they don't think is worth spending um so there needs to be thorough reform um and perhaps at that point come to the country and say do you think we're worth keeping and how would you be, be prepared to um, to help us do that but yeah, simply trying to impose a new tax is is, uh, is a non-starter. I think. No, I think that's exactly right. You know, uh, as pointed out by opposition parties, is yet it would be yet another sort of cost of living expense, uh, mm. which 
right now people are, are I think, really feeling. Um, Herman, what do you make of this? I mean, what's your thoughts on the SABC? I, uh, you know, they, they, I do see the value in it. You know, it's 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 going to be difficult to have uh, a commercially viable like vendor, uh, you know, language station until the country's in a much better economic space. Um, and yet, you know, we do have the government does have a constitutional duty to protect all all twelve official languages. Um, I mean, obviously they can't <laughs> they can't on radio protect sign language, but uh, what do you what do you make of this? Yeah, no, I I I think on this point I might be a bit more libertarian uh, in the sense that I can't really see what the point of the SABC is. I I think that um, it is it is a twentieth century product. It is a descendant of the BBC um, that was part of a, a, a network of media that needed to connect an empire and ensure that information spread could be thorough. And the government and the state was at that point the only viable body to implement such a structure. Um, so, so it sort of and and it had its um, war purposes, especially I think you know during the Second World War the. The, the 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 voice um, uh, of of the empire uh, around the world to get people onto the same page, uh, maintain a spirit of, of of positivity, morale, defiance. So so I think it's a, it is to my mind more a museum piece than 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 a, a practical component. I, I don't think we have to scrap it overnight, but I just think um, the. I don't see the problem to which a state-run broadcaster is a solution. Um, in many ways, it is just an opportunity for patronage and graft and propaganda. Now, I will caveat what I am saying to some extent. I do think that we are dealing with a country of some extensive societal disintegration. Families are, uh, uh, you know, fractured, fragmented, and elderly people most often suffer. Um, and I know radio um, has become a weird social protective buffer for many, many older South Africans from actually across all uh, uh, demographics, um, from the middle class all the way down. Uh, when you're an elderly person, your eyesight is going, you can't watch television, you can't read newspapers anymore quite often the only sense you have left is hearing and then radio becomes a sort of a companion um so i don't think it is too easy to just dispose of it and we have to also deal with the fact that many elderly south africans won't be able to if it was a fully privatized service perhaps from the get-go afford a subscription service to a private radio or something if we were to have a, an explosion of netflixes in south africa that said um the I can't see why that burden of let's call it subsidized media or subsidized broadcast for a societal good can't be picked up through an obligation to private companies were they to compete in the market. If you were to say, look, we are shutting down the SABC, we are auctioning off the assets, we are opening um, the channels, the airwaves for competition, for bidding, but part of what you must offer as a, uh, a participant <coughs> in the market is free services, a bit like Mnet Open Time um, that you could, you know, there was, so there, there, there are ways of 
solving the problems that I think a century of broadcast media have invisibilized, but we are just aware of them from a social perspective enough to know that just shutting down is easy and not getting something in its place that caters for society, uh, socially, socioeconomically deprived people who really are emotionally sometimes quite vulnerable and dependent on connected to the world through these things. There are more creative ways of ensuring that. My problem with the SABC is it was it's more so today now um, in terms of an avenue for corruption and patronage than propaganda because I think it has lost a lot of its propaganda appeal just by losing credibility, where under apartheid, the SIGAR was, of course, perhaps less corruption-y, but definitely more propaganda-y. So mm -hmm. my fear with a state broadcaster is that it opens itself up to these two abuses. And But I think there is a role for government to ensure that there's an open market, but there is something of a societal social <clears throat> obligation to ensure a broadcasting access network um, to people who really can't afford it, um, to fulfill that social good, to ensure that there is a connectivity, especially in a country where our societies are as fragmented and, and fractured as they are. Michael, any final thoughts on this before we move mm. on? Yeah, I, I, I go quite a bit way, quite a bit of the way in, in, in agreeing with you there, Herman, but I still think the state can have a role in these things. I, I, I'm not necessarily one who believes that they're giving stuff to the private sector is automatically a solution. Uh, the private sector, I think, has to be watched as closely as any state does because it's prone to exactly the same abuses. Um, but it is just a question of finding a sensible way of doing it. And I think that's certainly something where you could have collaboration with private players. Um, and, 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 and perhaps the, the very notion of, you know, a huge state corporation in 2023 is, is, uh, is, is, is somewhat anachronistic. Um, I think the BBC is probably quite a good example, but there, I know there are lots of people who criticize the BBC, but it does, you know, it's, it's got a pretty solid, um, institutional, tradition of behaving in a certain way um, it, and being accountable and, 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 well, and so on. So, regardless, yeah. regardless of what one thinks of its news side, its entertainment side is consistently the, among the world's best. Yeah. What I, but yeah. what I would add to that is it was pushed in that direction quite often by competition from ITV and Sky. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it, the, the state, I think we're in agreement that the state can play a role, but then mm. it comes back to the bang for buck you cannot yeah. just shift the burden of a billion rands of failures to the yeah, poorest people yeah. in the country. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think also, um, you know, what uh, what is what you know, who decides what's good for people? You know, I've often felt this about languages that become extinct. You know, it, it maybe there's a, there's a kind of sadness that goes with it, but you know, should somebody step in and prevent that? It, you know, can, can we redirect history because it makes us uncomfortable? Perhaps not. Um, so, yeah. These so, actually, uh, you know, uh, on that last point, just before we move on, um, I, I I actually agree with you, but I my mm. my sort of support uh, reason for why the SABC should exist is that the government does, as I say, have a have a constitutional duty to protect those those twelve official languages. Mm. Um, mm. 
And, but, uh, you know, even though I think that we should maybe shouldn't have 12 official languages, we should have like four and then a bunch of uh, recognized minority languages or something like that. But that um, burden could be shouldered differently. It, 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 it possibly. can be. Mm, mm. In the long term, possibly. But uh, right now, I'm not sure about that. Anyway, um, we've gone very long on this one, but uh, it is an interesting discussion. So I think mm. based on the SCBCs and the news, we shall have to come back to it. Very mm. briefly, let's go into our last story for today. Um, Government Employees Pension Fund, which is Africa's largest pool of retirement savings, um, says that it's going to start looking at using its 2.7 trillion rand in assets to push for transformation in the financial sector. Uh, the chairperson speaking to the media said they were seeking to level the economic playing field in South Africa because the country's story is incomplete and that they want the public investment corporation to uh, direct the funds of its 1.2 million members uh, towards more transformed entities the chairperson said quote we are saying it is important that we should leverage the strength and the might we have as a fund the majority of our members are black people government employees and pensioners let us use the size of the fund to ensure that in the companies and industries that the PIC invests, we should seek investments that endorse the transformation that I'm talking about, in particular, the financial services sector. Well, he did go on to then become a lot more bellicose and saying, we're not withdrawing from working with untransformed asset managers or investing in companies that don't advance BE, but we're not ruling out withdrawing from these companies if they don't uh, begin working with us to transform the racial makeup of the economy. Briefly, Herman, your thoughts. Um, I think what's interesting to me is there's, there's a tremor of nervousness running um, through many of these entities. You see it now here. You see it with the Black Business Council uh, coming out gunning uh, for the IRR a week ago. Um, there's, there's a, there is a shift coming in terms of whether race-based policies like BEE being so vulnerable, built into their DNA for corruption and patronage and abuse and caterism as they are, whether that is sustainable. And I think we are sensing a, a shift in where the country is in that regard. That's why these things, 10 years ago, this wouldn't even have been necessary to say or to mm. for the guy to be bellicose about this. It would have been accepted wisdom. Yes, of course, you should um, support black entrepreneurs. That's where to go. The problem, however, is, is that reality <clears throat> has come abiding where people understand that where we free market uh, uh, capitalists are often accused of seeking trickle-down economic uh, uh, upliftment, where we say make the life of the rich easier and they will uh, make the lives of their, you know, coterie of serfs easier, where that's a parody of what the free market is, where it gives the opportunity, whether you are rich or poor, to participate to the best extent of your judgment. This is a perverse trickle-down economic transformation where you can isolate a politically connected elite that share a race with many, many poor people in South Africa, but because they share that race, not because they're having a tough life, they will be benefited. And somehow by creating a billionaire here, a few thousand people will benefit and suddenly be, be less malnourished. The trickle-down socioeconomic upliftment is perverse but it's ending. That's exactly what's so crazy about this. It's saying uh, here are mostly black middle class people and we are going to take their retirement savings and use them to prop up 
super wealthy black asset managers. I mean, <laughs> Michael, any thoughts on this before we close? <laughs> no, exactly. It's exactly that. And, uh, you know, the irony is when they talk about a transformed economy, we, we understand perfectly well, and as I think, in, as Herman says, increasing numbers of South Africans do too, that it's an economy that's growing, that's got more jobs, that has greater access for people to participate and so on. That is that is what a transformed economy is. It's not an economy that is shackled by or, or hamstrung by all kinds of uh, dictates on race and localization and whatever else it might be the government comes up with. It's a kind of economy that is a, f a strongly free market one that is growing, that is generating profits and generating income for people in pensions, pensions fund, pension funds. Um, which is exactly what the members of of um, of, of of this the GPFPF funds are seeking. Um, so that's what a really transformed economy is. It's and it's not the one that they're looking at, or or suggesting. Exactly. Anyway, we are long. We are going over time now, so I think we're going to call it there. But thank you very much, guys. And we hope that you found the show interesting. We'll be back tomorrow on the Daily French Show. Cheers, everyone.